Welcome to Women Real and Raw, a tantalizing, mind-blowing, unconditional loving, safe space where we are authentic, courageous, and uncensored. So get ready to have fun, get real, get raw, and feel empowered. Hi, I'm your co-host, Tiffany Lee, aka Truth Teller, body language expert, corporate communications trainer, speaker, social media consultant, and COO of Roar, Inc., And I am your co-host, Kristen Sparks, a connections expert, speaker, leader, best-selling co-author of the book on joy, Canfield Methodology trained, and the executive director of the Sister Weird Foundation. And together, we are Roar Inc., a spirit-led, sisterhood model, women-focused communications and connections company. Voice is our power. Join us as we come together from different worlds to share our lives, stories, insights, wisdom, and vulnerability as we live our lives out in the open. We can be reached anytime at womenrealandraw.com. Now let's get real and raw. Have you ever been to one of those sex toys parties? Long ago, and I would just remember sitting there like, oh my God, we're really doing this. If it was long ago, you were young. Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah. That was like the thing you did when you were married. You know, and had kids and, and like all the ladies would get together. Oh my God. Yeah, I was, yep. I was probably like one of the youngest people there and right. it was somebody had something at her, yeah, at their house. It, and I was just like, okay. <laughs> right. We're just going to whip it out. And- <laughs> We're going to whip it out. We're going to show you all kinds of stuff. Yep. I know. I'm just like. Okay. I've come such a long way though. Honest to goodness. Did I ever tell you about working at the sex shop? Oh my gosh. Why wow, you Miami? just have all the jobs I oh! <laughs> first job I ever had in Miami, it was a lingerie and sex toy shop. I would love it. <laughs> it was a blast. It was in Coconut Grove. I had a ball, but did not my boss didn't and I just did not see eye to eye. And she didn't she never came to the shop. She was a very large, somewhere in the neighborhood of six hundred pound woman. A lot of money. And she had video cameras and she would watch us through the video cameras. We had to carry plastic bags or clear bags so that she could see if we had anything in our bags beside. And I that had the kids. The oh, yeah, it did. Although I ignored most of what she did anyway and said, <laughs> but I had the kids um, and I had to go to Columbus to get them for the holidays mm. and I was taking him to my mom's and so I was going to be gone a week and she said if I left I lost my job and I said well I guess I'll lose my job because I'm out right you know who the fuck are you right I'm not a slave yeah. to the sex shop no shit <laughs> you know I sell a lot of stuff and you're pretty stupid to be letting me go that's all right? I can say yeah, yeah. okay right you're you lost. gotta be and I think that's kind of where you and I are with this because this is so right, that was so much fun. I had a blast doing it. I ignored mm-hmm. what, you know, the stupid shit right. and enjoyed the fun stuff about it. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of propositions. Didn't take oh, anybody sure. up on it, but I got a lot of propositions. I am sure. And, <laughs> you <laughs> I can know, <totally> imagine. <laughs> right? But that, I had to be willing to lose that job in order to enjoy the job. Mm-hmm. 
And we have to be willing to lose it. We have to be willing to fail and fall on our face to get up and do it again. Yeah. You know, it's scary. I'm scared. You don't ever seem scared to me. Like, I feel like I'm the most scared because you and Kathy just are always like, just on it. And like I don't see the fear at all. It's, and especially like in you, I mean, even in her, like, I don't see it. I'm like, am I the only one scared? Nope. <laughs> and that's why I'm sharing it. Cause you're not, you know, <laughs> I told you about the stuff with the book, the Kundalini awakening. Mm-hmm. And it just sent literally this peaceful energy that, made me remember that I have to be willing to lose it all in order to gain it all. I have to surrender mm. to the loss. To I'm the, so tired of losing it all, Kristen. I'm I know, so, baby. I I'm know. So <laughs> you know, and, and I, you're I don't know. I from, honestly, I don't know if I can make it again. You don't have to. Because you're not saying that you're going to lose it all. You're saying Mm -hmm. I surrender to the process of having it all. That's what you're saying. Right. You know, you're saying I'm scared and I'm going to do it anyway. I'm scared because I have been in a place of pain. Mm -hmm. I have been in a place that I it was awful and I don't want to go back. So I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make this work. And that takes surrender. Right. I mean, like I was like, when we were talking earlier this morning and, you know, and I said, you know, I'm going to give myself a certain amount of time. And if it's time for me to get another job, I'm just going to have to figure out how to make it work. Cause this mm-hmm. is what we're doing is not optional. Right. Well, I will some time and stuff may have to move around fine, but not and doing it this is movable. Not doing this isn't an option for me at this point. No, nor it's, for it's, me. Yeah, it's it, it's not. <laughs> this this is my lifeblood. This is what makes me say thank you when I get up in the morning mm-hmm. and be grateful mm-hmm. that I'm alive and doing this and, right. you know, that I have such a fabulous partner Aww. that I can, you know, play off of and and learn from and grow with and oh my god Tiff I mean and I I I mean same for you like I I feel so and I told you this before like I feel so blessed to be able to Mm -hmm. have you I remember even the things with Megan Joe I remember saying I just want somebody to do it with somebody that has done some of it before me so that we're both not looking at each other all the time or I'm not trying to lead every single thing, yeah. you know, and you, I, I mean, and here it is. <laughs> I totally like, get it. That is, that is what I asked for. And I am just so glad that it's you. Like it could have been so many other people, and but it's, it's you like. Honey, this is how manifestation and the law of attraction works. Yeah. It really is. And, you know, yeah. I almost had to go through the cancer and the chemo in order for us to be connected in a way that you cannot connect with someone unless you've been there and done it. Yep. You know, and that just solidified what I saw before I got sick. 
and why when I came out of it, I'm like, Tip, please (laughs) (laughs) come with me on this, please. Right. And I mean, I just remember feeling when you first told us and then you started talking about it. I just remember being so overwhelmed with emotion for you. You know, I, I just I remember. I don't want to say feeling as if I was going through it, but it, it brought all of it back. And I just mm-hmm. remember just saying, like, I just want to be there for her. I I want to be there. And for you her. were. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because so much. that's just no fun. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And, you know, you don't realize how much of it you don't remember. You know, it just so screws with your head. Oh, my, oh my God. Gosh. You know? Right. <laughs> It yeah. just does. And the other day, Syl and I are having a conversation mm-hmm. and we're talking about, I don't really remember. <laughs> I, I think it was music or something. And we were talking about it. And all of a sudden in pops the answer. Oh my God, my brain's starting to work again. <laughs> And I know you understand that feeling. Yep. I do. Because it's like, you, oh, there it is. Yeah. Oh, oh it's, it's right there. Easy. Right? <laughs> like, I didn't stop and have to think, what was I? What? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the conversation, like, wasn't, you know, the epiphany of the world. It was right. just a conversation. But to those actually, things that, like, that matter. Right. And you get that and you get that. And that is one of the reasons why I can look at you and bounce off of you. And you know, you just know when you need to pick up something, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm dropping it. And you know, sometimes what I need before I need, I even know I need it. Mm -hmm. Well, I am so glad that, that, that awesome. Come on. I know. I'm not. Good Lord. No. I'm no makeup on, damn it. Right? <laughs> but no, I mean, I I love that. I never had, and not that you not that you're old enough to be a, to be my grandmother, but <laughs> like I never had a grandmother. I had a great grandmother. I never had a grandmother. And it's like having like somebody to talk to, you know, that's older, but it's not going to be condemning. And, you know, you shouldn't do that. And, you know, and just to be able to do all of this with you is just, I mean, when I say a dream come true, like. It's okay, honey. You can call me Grandma KK. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't look at you like a grandma, you know, but you know know what I mean? Like, yes, I do. It just, it, this is just more than I could have asked for. Or, or prayed for, or even thought about, you know, like bits and pieces of things that I've always wanted to do. Now it's all, now it's all here. It's, it's all under roar and we're working through it. And, you know, like the corporate stuff and, you know, all of that, like, I didn't have to convince you. It was like, well, let's do corporate. You know, it's like, <laughs> let's do it. And, and when I tell you that, I don't know what, something about that, I can't wait for us to get on stage and, and or in a room and teach corporate stuff and talk to them because it is going to be amazing. And there's going to be, I think I told, sent this in a message, there's going to be a women real and raw on the road. 
No, I agree. I've seen it. It's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I've seen it. We're going to be surrounded by thousands of women doing just this, just fucking talking. Right? Just talking. People have lost that, that ability to just talk. I mean, they all, everybody's on their phone. Everybody's texting each other, you know? No, We're not talking. And even, when, and even when they're texting, like, they're not having real, authentic conversations. I just shouldn't say not everybody, but rarely, you know? Are they having, because I mean, I have some people that I text with and we text paragraphs and we get into it, <laughs> but everybody isn't, you know, everybody isn't like that. But it's like, what are we talking about as women? I mean, as people, period, but as women, like, what are we even talking about? Well, you know, back in the day, we used to have a village, you know, that we lived in. We had our parents, we had our aunts and uncles, we had grandparents and their parents, and their, and, you know, and all of these people that would help when children were born and as they grew and parents doing, you know, jobs and they bartered off of each other and they helped each other and they communicated. And we have, as we've grown in technology and industry, moved further and further and further away. And in doing that, Women have lost the connection to other women. And that's where I think we are going to help close that divide. Yeah. And I mean, some of like one of the other topics we had to talk about being judgmental, you know, I don't know how women got to be so judgmental against each other. It's there's this poem and I can't, I, I have to look up and see who who says it, but it was in the beginning of one of Beyonce's songs. It was like, women are looked at as competition now and not as, you know, assets or friends or, you know, whatever, ways to be useful and beneficial toward each other. And now it's just like, oh, you're doing better than me, so I don't like you. Or you're doing you something different. You have nicer clothes than, than I do. Or, right. Yeah. Like, or your hair is better than my hair. You know, and it starts at a very young age. And I can only assume that we as the adults in the room teach our younger generation to be that way. It's not something that they're born with. It's not something they come with that. You know? Right. And I try to remember if I was ever specifically taught that or if it was influence from school and you know elementary school and all of that because all 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 that I can remember ever my grandmother or even great-grandmother or my mom ever saying was when you go out always look your best you know always present yourself in a presentable way did we hear it or did we see it like the gossiping and I'm not saying your mom or your grandmother was but the gossip if I saw it it wasn't in my family it starts, you know, when you start talking about other people and you start comparing their outsides to your insides and you start comparing their clothes to your clothes, their, you know, makeup or not, their tattoos or not. Well, I know size and weight was a big thing for us. That, or not, And not even to say like another woman was better, but it was like that comparison thing that came in early. 
But it's like at the same time it came in, but then it kind of wasn't because then my mom was a full figure model, you know, so that I would go to shows and be surrounded by, you know, women who were bigger and full of confidence, you know? And so I, I struggle with trying to identify where, where it came from, you know, if it came from family or if it came from outside influences, I, I probably, for me, my earliest memory of ever even thinking that I look different or, or thinking, you know, somebody looked better than me was when I was first called fat in, was that, must have been, was that elementary or pre, preschool? I don't know what it was, but that was like the first time I had, I ever remember feeling like, oh, I'm bigger than everybody or this person is smaller than me or, or, you know, I don't remember feeling that way before then. I mean, of course, that was many, many years ago, but I can't. That's the first tangible memory that I have of feeling like, oh, I'm I'm bigger than everybody else. And then from there. It's probably where I then carried it with me, you know, carried it with me on top of the fact that I never wanted to be bigger. You know, I, I never. I never wanted to be. And I guess once it was called out that I was, then it's just this the spiral. And then society, you know, we turn on the TV and especially back then, like the 80s, if you weren't Cindy Crawford, then you were an abomination. <laughs> Mine was a memory of the kids doing it. I can remember teachers, like my first grade teacher paddled me for something I had not done. And so she said that I had kicked a boy in the line for the restrooms. Okay. First off, I really liked boys. I wasn't going to kick them. (laughs) They might've been my boyfriend. I wouldn't have kicked them, you know? So I had not done that. I don't know who did it, but it wasn't me. She paddled me because back then you had corporal punishment in schools a big freaking ass paddle, right? Yeah, once I remember seeing one <laughs> whack, and I turned around and kicked her and left. I walked out of school and went home. I'm like, bullshit, this shit ain't happening. Right? <laughs> That's I, something I <laughs> now, this woman, God bless her soul, Mrs. Coombs is her name. Okay? You still remember. Oh, honey, I do. And she would, she wore her hair in a beehive hairdo. And it oh was like God, freaking way up to here. You know, her name and her hair were like perfect match. It's like me and Sparks, right? Right. You and Lee. It's just, you know. It just goes along. It does. So... That was one with a teacher. My second grade teacher locked us in a closet. There were three or four of us that we got locked what? in a closet for the year. Oh, yeah, it was bad. Bad, bad, bad. Locked in a closet? Locked in a closet because I was too loud and too obnoxious in class. So, yeah. Well, look I, at us now, teachers. I know, right? <laughs> Blow your mind. I'm still loud and obnoxious. Right? I'm still loud. <laughs> and opinionated, because I was that, too. But I remember in, I think it was fourth grade, 
somebody said, you must be poor. You've got homemade clothes on. My mother was a seamstress. She was not just a craft sewer. She was a seamstress, and she made me beautiful clothes. Mm -hmm. I loved the fact that my mother sewed. I still sew to this day. My mother taught me from the time I could walk and talk to sew. Mm. I love that. I'm feeling some women real and raw. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We really shared that, you know, I don't have a lot of things that she and I shared. And that was the one big thing that she and I shared. Mm -hmm. And that was like this awakening that I was different. You know, I wore clothes that were different. I talked different. I still had my Texas accent back then. You know, all these things that that didn't conform to the norm. And I guess I decided at that point that I really didn't want to conform to the norm. In fact, I didn't want to conform to the norm so much that when I went out into the workforce and I was on... One of my very first jobs, I was so bored that I would fall asleep at my desk. <laughs> and you know that. And I couldn't stop it. Right. Yeah, it was like you're just bored out of your mind. And you know, it's funny you say that because now this is, this won't have to go a totally different direction for, for, for the podcast. But I remember, so that is what I was taught growing up is to fit in. And to fit into the box and to not be super loud and super crazy and, you know, all of those things. And I remember always feeling like, but that's not me. And it hasn't been until, hell, until recently. I mean, as recent as me changing my hair color to to this color, where I am like, you know what? I'm not normal. I don't want to fit into the boxes. I don't want to be what everybody thinks I should be, you know, I don't want to do it, but it's taken me, hell, I'm 38 now. It's taken me that long. It's, it's grown, you know, over the years, but I was like, you know what? I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be normal. Maybe I want to be covered in tattoos. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Well, you know, I got my first tattoo when I was 35. I waited not for any other reason than I didn't really know anything about tattoos, um, until I moved to Miami, <laughs> I learned a lot in Miami. You know, I grew up in Miami. Miami was the first place that I ever chose to live as an adult. So I just adopted it as my home and I made that town mine. Miami changed everything for me. I was a abuse spouse. I was a victim of, I don't even know what you'd call it. And I had to make a a heart-wrenching choice to leave my children with their father in Ohio because it was best for them, you know, and I needed to grow up. I needed to find me so that I could be a mother to them eventually my friend Sharon, who's been with me through that whole journey, you know, from pretty much 1991 through today, 
you know, she and I spent hours and hours and hours talking about it before I made the decision to do it. You know, is this going to be right for them? You know, am I going to be able to give them what they need if I stay? Right. And that's Can the part I, that yeah. a lot of people miss. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't. I couldn't because of the relationship that I had with my ex-husband. It just, today they would call him a stalker. But back then, you know, he was a cop and I wasn't. I was just the homemaker. But I made a choice. I made my choice and I moved to Miami. And while, you know, my experience of moving to Miami was one of great joy, one of great heartache, but such growth. Oh, my Lord, the growth, you know, from falling into the most beautiful spiritual awakening with this woman by the name of Naomi, who became a dear friend and mentor, just by chance, the way the universe works. I just love the and way those are the, the best connections. Works. You know, yeah. to, you know, doing boat deliveries that, you know, I did a little sailing with my dad, you know, <laughs> when I was a kid. And then, you know, that's a whole nother story. But what a fun time going to the islands, picking up boats, bringing them back to Miami, being out in the middle of, oh, my God. Oh, my God. The, I can't the, even imagine. If you've ever looked at a grain of sand, Mm-hmm. That is truly what we are in the universe. Oh, a yeah. grain of sand. Yep. Tiny speck of dust that you see in a sun ray. That's what yep. we are. And when you're out in the middle of the ocean and there is nothing, you see nothing. And I don't care if you're on a 30 foot yacht. You're on a hundred foot yacht. You are right. teensy, weensy, tiny, teensy, eeny yep. bitty. Right. And it just changes your whole perspective yep. of life, of you, of value, of mm-hmm. spirituality, of religion. Right. It just opens up this whole vessel. This vessel that we're in, it opens it up and allows something to come through. And I am so ready for that. You know, I've I've started that journey here, but I know that down there, I feel like my life is going to change totally down there. I mean, even from, even from like the weight loss aspect, you know, just being in a place that I feel happy and I feel like me and where the culture in and of itself is, you know, health and wellness. And I mean, you can't escape it down there. And I want to be in that. And I am so excited about it. So excited about it. And I'm excited about not being, you know, like up here, it's just so normal and so corporate. And you, they, you know, it's not necessarily stated, but this is, this is your box. And you're supposed to be in that box. And for the people that veer outside of that box, you're either celebrated or you're looked at as crazy or strange. And that's you kind can of, see that in Congress. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know? But, seriously, though. And so that is why I'm so excited about being away from that, you know, being away from that culture of just you're either this or that and there's nothing in between. And if you don't fit this box, then you can't work for us because you have five tattoos on your arm. Right. Yeah. I know. My daughter went to apply for a flight attendant position and she had a tattoo on her wrist, just a small one. You know, this is years back and sorry. I mean, if I couldn't go to work for the airlines and that's where Syl and I met. And if I'd had this tattoo on my arm or this tattoo or the one on my leg or <laughs> certainly right, which, the one on my chest. Which, which one? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or the one on my back, you know, they would have just absolutely. Yeah. Now the one that I originally started with, they didn't know anything about because that's on my butt. And nobody sees it unless I want them to. And I really don't want them to because it's not the best one of all the ones I've had. So, you know, it's a good place to be. But it certainly has given the doctors lots to talk about. Right. Well, look, you can always get it redone. I could, but why? You know? I mean, hey. <laughs> it is what it is. And and the only reason that I, I wasn't happy with it, he did everything I wanted him to do, but he added this cartoon water feature to it that I did not ask for. And that's what I don't like. And you'd have to cover it with something that I didn't want anything there. I wanted just what was, you know, I, what it is, is a, is two wolf heads and a yin yang and then two dolphins over the, around the outside and a Pisces. So they're each swimming in different directions like I do all the time. <laughs> it's funny you say that because when I went on an interview at one of my old jobs at a, at a seminary school, I remember one of the first things I told her or asked her, I said, I've got tattoos. Is that going to be a problem? <laughs> and I took the job because her response was, no, we want you to come as you are. And I had never heard oh, that from a religious place yeah. ever. No kidding. That's huge. And this is a seminary yep. school. The seminary school. And this was a new division that they had built. That was their outward facing. So for the community. So we, the seminary school was in, an, in another part of D.C., but our office was right in the heart of downtown D.C., couple miles from the White House. So we were in the community. I mean, it was called the Institute for Community Engagement. And that was what we did. We did home. We talked about homeless things. We were out there with the homeless. We were out there. One of the, the church across the street, their um, old pastor. I mean, he would talk to the pimps, you know? I mean, like that, I loved. That's probably one of my favorite jobs, aside from the animal hospital. I mean, some days you, I would come home in tears because we would, when we dealt with the human trafficking stuff, that was for like a couple of months. That was heavy, but I loved it. I loved it. I loved that it was faith-based, but we were out in the community and I had a chance to meet some amazing, amazing people who were still pastors or, or preachers, but who were also real, you know, it's like, I still drink wine. Like I still enjoy a good drink, you know, I mean, it, cause you know, you grow up and it's like, Ooh, if you're in the church, you don't do that. You don't say that. You don't. And what religion did you grow up in? Christian. I won't even say Catholic. I went to a Catholic high school, but Christian, you know. I know what you're saying. I just was curious. Yeah. 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 And so to go to, to have a job that was based 
in a seminary school where it was like, no, come as you are. Amazing. You know, you talk about it as faith-based. And faith has gotten a bad rap because faith is about a belief in something bigger than what you are. And when I say that I found out that I was just a grain of sand, just a bubble in the ocean, that is faith that I am important, that I am worthy, that I have value, that I have a voice, and that my voice needs to be heard. You know, that's faith. Faith is not just about God. You know, faith is that if you and I work hard in joy and gratitude, we can make our company something really amazing because of who we are and what we have to give. Right. And we both know that the world needs Mm -hmm. what we both have. Yeah. If people could start to learn again what faith means... I think we could start to truly have that connection to the bigger universe and to each other. No matter what our religion is, no matter what our belief systems are, and have that respect. You know, we talked a little bit about that with Lisa. We've talked about it before. But man, just that respect for other people, for human life, for animals. I mean, oh, good God, did you see the the news recently with the family of 11 kids and they chained them up and they beat them and they, they starved them? I mean, and we have a problem with abortion. I don't get it. Right. There are certain things, there are certain jobs that I know I could never have. And it would never be one that would involve me having to be around something like that. And it would never be a job that involved me having to be around people that abuse animals. Because I would go to jail. I know. Me too. I mean, it me would too. it would be. I remember being younger and I was like, I want to work for, you know, animal control or, you know, the SGCA or whatever. And <laughs> my stepfather was like, well, animal control carries guns. So you can't work for them because you would shoot up everybody. <laughs> And I'm like, well, that's okay. true. <laughs> so you say you worked with animals. What did you do? So I was a, a director of my animal hospital. <laughs> I worked for a vet. <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> I tell you, this is so meant to be. It's not I even know, funny. Right? Oh, my God. So, yeah. So that was uh-huh. that was my other job that I love. Okay. Yeah, I loved it, too. Other than the surgery, pulling out poor kitty's toenails. That one was um, hard. Yeah. 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 I loved, I loved, loved that too. job and I loved the seminary school. Yeah. And if, if either one of them paid more, I would probably stay. Mm-hmm. You know, I just needed to live. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I was like, why did the there feel good job thing. never pay enough money? <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, I'm mean, talking about, you know. that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> talking about the faith stuff, you know, we... One of the major projects that we did, and we actually, one of our staff members who came on and got another degree was Bill Clinton's press secretary. 
So he and I would have some awesome conversations and he was able to bring in some other people who were in politics to talk about as a politician, balancing your faith, being a politician. Right. Right. Because the two are just. The dichotomy is quite clear. <laughs> right. The, the, yeah. the two just, you're like, huh, how does this even work? How can you do this? But then you, and but then you're involved in like the most crooked scam in America. Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I've never understood how you don't live your beliefs. So that was, that was part of some of our conversations. And I mean, it was a lot of, I mean, he would bring up compartmentalizing things, you know, he would bring up trying to be an agent for change in a system that didn't necessarily go along those same lines (laughs) and belief that he had, you know? And of course, you know, we talked about, all the things that went on during Bill Clinton's time in office. And, you know, as the press secretary, it's your job to make it sound good. Right. I did not. Have- <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, Sal and I still use that line. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was, I loved being around him and just hearing, hearing those conversations and, you know, being able to talk about those things from somebody who, you know, at the time when I thought I wanted to like go down that route career-wise, I was like, how do you do this? How do you balance how you feel personally with 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 your faith and religion and all spirituality with the bigger picture of who you work for and what you're put in a position to do? You know, Bill Clinton was a good president. He's a guy. That doesn't mean that, you know, I, I absolve all men of, of fooling around because, you know, we can all do that. But we all don't have to. You know, it's a choice. It, you know, it's totally a choice. Everything we do in life is a choice. How we respond to what we do, what kind of responsibility we take for what we do. You know, I'm a big proponent of, of 100% responsibility, even when it's uncomfortable. God, it is so uncomfortable sometimes. I don't like always taking 100% responsibility. I was in a meeting the other day, a Zoom meeting, and I thought I was on mute because I had hit the mute, thought I was on mute, and I'm typing away, you know, responding to people. And and the leader of the group, who I adore, am so, like, in awe of this woman, because... There's somebody typing and it's really irritating. And I'm like, oh, shit, that was me. Oh, God. So, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, just hide. Don't let anybody know. And I'm like, no, you you cannot do that and, and be living your talk and walking your talk. And so I apologized. You know, I am so sorry. That was me. I totally apologize for how rude and inconsiderate that was. And I didn't expect a response because when you apologize, people shouldn't have to thank you for apologizing, you know? And I didn't get, I got one person that said, oh, that was so sweet. But she responds like that to everything. She's just, you know, she is one of the really, really nice, nice people. And I didn't expect one. I didn't get one, but I stood in it and I felt better about myself. I felt better about the fact that, you know, yeah, it was really uncomfortable. Yeah, I really was embarrassed. 
and okay, now I'm really known by this woman that, you know, I've wanted to, and I'm hoping at some point we'll be on our podcast. Oh, that wasn't the way I wanted to do it. <laughs> you know? I would have right. liked no, to have stood out it. for a whole lot other it, things. I did. I you did. Owned it. And you really have to own what you do. And Bill has a real presence. He can command a room just by walking in. He is, you know, an amazing human being since leaving office and doing whatever he did with whatever he did with whomever he did it. But he never did own that. And that's always bothered me about him. He never owned it. He always came back to that. I did not have whatever, Bill, really. Because in my book, sex is sex. If you're touching somebody, it's sex. (laughs) You know, it's so funny thinking about that and thinking about people I don't know if that's ever a level of fame and and notoriety that I want only because every single thing you do is scrutinized. You know, it's like I look at, you know, like some of these famous folks, you know, I mean, we can only first people that come to my head is always the Kardashian folks, you know, love them or hate them. I despise the fact that those girls can't take a shit without somebody criticizing them, you know? And it's like, you know, yes, they've done whatever to their bodies or they've done whatever, but they're still fucking people, man. Right. That comes all the way back to where we started this conversation. And, you know, where did we start judging each other, especially as women? Why is it that we need to judge another human being for doing whatever it is that they choose to do with their bodies. It's their vessel. It's their journey. They're allowed. You know, I may not like it. I may wish it was another way. I wish everybody would get a COVID vaccine. But I still respect the fact that it is your body. And if that's what you don't want to do, don't do it. Right. And I think I think for women and, and culture... It gets kind of dicey, and I can't even necessarily say that's because of the particular person's choice. I think it is a result of how society has made things. So, so let's just stick with the Kardashians for a minute. Whether, you know, they've had work done, you know, enhanced certain features that may or may not have been there before. And so I hear a lot of... And I'm just going to say it because I'm a black woman. A lot of black women are like, you know, oh, they're stealing black culture. You know, they want to be black. They want to be this. They want to be that. And so where I think the problem is, like you were just saying about if people want to do something to their body, it should be their choice to do it. Totally agree with that. I think the problem comes, and this is a whole nother conversation we need to have, where they can do it and weren't born with it. But the people who were born with it are mocked and shamed for having it. Right. I've got to tell you something that I have always said. I am an English-Irish woman. I am white. I don't like when I am this white. I like a tan. I can't get tan right now because I'm getting my tattoo done. And he's asked me not to. Okay, I'm cool with that. But 
we as white women spend thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to turn our skin your color. Yep. What's and up I think with the that? Reason- and then we turn around and go, oh, you're black and that means you're less than me. Please. And I think that is where so many people have issues. I don't think it's that it's being done. I think it's the fact that it's okay for you to do it and you get praised. Oh my God, you have such a tan, you know, you got, got your butt implants, your lip implants, you know, ooh, woo, woo. But then the people who are born with those features are treated like shit. Yeah. And like something's wrong wrong with them. So I think all of it adds into the judgment, all the things that we're talking about. And it's like, where, like, how do you fix that? Even just talking about that issue. How do you fix that when that comes from such a long line of hate against a particular group of people? That is so interesting. If we were to lose the skin that we're in, and I don't know if you ever saw the body... I can't remember what it was called. It was like a a museum exhibit that was around the country. It was called the body something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think I remember where it was just like the inside, the muscles and all of that. Yeah, it was everything that we, you see now, except no skin, no skin. mm -hmm. You know, we're exactly the same. It doesn't matter whether we're Asian or white or African or whatever. You know, you know, whether we're Russian or Irish or it does not matter. We are all underneath this skin that's only three layers thick, for God's sakes. (laughs) We are exactly the same. Right. But how do you undo? Years and years and years of hate. Because of that one. Start loving. You start coming at everything with love because love is all. Love is the universe. That is the vibe. That is the energy. That is absolutely everything. And I think it would take all sides to come at it from love. Because you can't ask me to come at it from love if Karen isn't. You know what? I can I can, you can ask you, I can, but no, seriously, I can ask you to come at it from love. I will come at it from love. We can ask any person that comes with us to come at it from love. And three, six, 12 millions. Because if we start it, if we come at it with love, always, with love, then people that we meet, people that we talk to, people that we touch, maybe they'll change and come at it with love too. And that changes things exponentially. Right. And I think it's much easier to, it's it's easy to say it, you know? And of course, in my mind, I would always love to come from a situation with love. But if I went out to Oklahoma or Nebraska and somebody wants to call me an N-word or wants to be disrespectful based off of the fact that I'm darker than them, I can't tell you I'm going to respond with peace and love. <laughs> I, no, 
I may, you, you I may, may not, not get irate. You have a choice you know. as to whether you do or you don't. Yeah, I may not get irate and want to fight you, but I can't t- say that I'm 100% going to come from peace and love. I'm going to have something to say about it. If someone else comes at you with derogatory remarks and you choose to attack those remarks and the person who is saying it, you change nothing. You change, you affect no, nothing other than, you know, making you, the two of you into a battleground. So, you know, you go right back to this E plus R equals O, and I know that can be frustrating. <laughs> it's like, shut the hell up. <laughs> really? <laughs> but, and I get it. I get it because it's not like I have been through what you've been through. So I don't know the pain, but I do know the pain of being a victim. I know the pain of being a victim of, of sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. I know that. You know, and, and if somebody were to attack me that way, it would be hard for me to respond back in love. Totally hard. Not going to say that I'm perfect because God knows I'm not. <laughs> right. You know? uh, and I think none of, none of us are. No. We are thrilled that you spent time with us today. So thank you. We are always here to remind you how powerful you are and that you deserve to be seen and heard. Again, we thank you so much for listening and hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please remember to leave us an awesome review so we can keep coming back and helping you find your power. Until next time, we are women, real and raw.